Hello and welcome to Killing It the Crimecast. I'm your host Lux and it has been a wild, say the least. Um, I'm currently on holiday, which is making me a little bit less nervous about doing this after, what was it, six months? Uh, This episode will... Well, the notes started in October, which is spooky season. So I was watching a lot of horror movies and I thought there must be some murders that were inspired by horror movies. And so I started doing this research and I've come up with three cases. Um, But it's now December, so it's kind of irrelevant. But I'm still going to do it anyway because I'm not going to waste a whole bunch of research and not record. So here we go. Our first case is Daniel Gonzalez also known as the Freddy Krueger killer, also known as the Mummy's Boy killer, also known as Zippy. Now, he was born on the 21st of June in 1980 to an English mother and a Spanish father. He was privately educated in Surrey in England. He got eight GCSEs and he was good at acting and he was a chess champion. So, so far he's sounding like he's a pretty good boy. However, he was actually described as dark and troubled. He didn't have any friends, and he never had any romantic relationships. As a boy, he would talk to himself and laugh at nothing. He was expelled from secondary school, or high school, for drawing offensive cartoons and putting pins on other students' seat. Um, Now, I don't really know what kind of offensive cartoons we're talking about, but I assume they were pretty bad in order to get him expelled. He began using drugs and committing minor crimes, like vandalism and shoplifting. And then from 17, he received psychological help from mental health specialists at the behest of his parents. So, pretty good parenting at this point, noticing that he's being offensive and being a bit of a truant and doing all these sort of deviant things, sending him to a psychiatrist. And for a while, this actually seemed to be working. He was um, admitted to the medium security Oak Tree Clinic and was treated with antipsychotics. But this stable period only lasted about six months. As soon as he was discharged, he came off his medication and he went back to his old ways. This whole time, Gonzalez's mother was contacting the Health and Social Services and the House of Commons for help with her son. It's not entirely clear to me exactly what she was asking for. Maybe it was free admittance to a psychiatric ward or something, but she was definitely asking them to assist with his mental health issues in some way. When he was 18, she wrote a letter to the Surrey... (laughs) This is a tongue twister. Surrey Social Services, wondering if her son quotes, must commit murder, end quote, before he got any help. And then after he did commit some murders, spoilers, she said in an interview with The Independent that, quote, every time we asked for help for Daniel or Daniel did himself, we were told we would have to wait for a crisis to occur before he could get the help he needed, end quote. Now, this is probably why he was called the mummy's boy. This just clicked for me. Um, It didn't really click when I was writing the notes. His mum is really, really pushing for him to get the help that he needs. And she's sort of babying him. But not in a bad way. He kind of needs it. She's She's doing the right thing. But maybe this is why he got the nickname mummy's boy. So... Despite the fact that Gonzalez was, air quotes, inspired by horror films, wanted to emulate the violence that he saw in them, and the fact that he idolised the Columbine killers, several doctors concluded that he posed very little risk to himself or others, and how they were wrong. 
Over the weekend of the 11th to 12th of September 2004, Gonzalez attended a rave where he took a whole bunch of drugs, which is definitely not what someone who is not only mentally unstable, but is very much aware of his own mental instability should be doing. And also, did he go to this rave on his own, seeing as all my sources said that he didn't have any friends? And where did he get the drugs from if he didn't have any friends? This is just... whatever. And then on Monday the 13th, he ran around his family's property naked, and he scattered some knives around the kitchen. Bit Bundy there, if anyone knows the anecdote about three-year-old Bundy putting some knives around his aunt while she was having a nap. On Wednesday the 15th, he stabbed a sink in the house, God knows why, before leaving the home. He then went to Portsmouth, which is 30-odd miles from Woking, where he lived, and attacked 61-year-old Peter King and his wife while they were walking their dog. Gonzalez told Peter that he was going to kill him, and although he managed to get in some stabs to the chin and some injury to Peter's throat, Peter fought him off. Gonzalez Gonzalez said, sorry, I'm a schizophrenic, and then ran away. And then he later blamed this unsuccessful attack on his knife being too small. I mean, maybe you're just a bit, a bit shit, mate. Just an idea. He then travelled another 30-odd miles to Hove, where he hid in a bush in a remote area wearing a hockey mask, and he waited for a victim. Hockey mask was inspired by Friday the 13th, which is obviously the Freddy Krueger link there, with the Freddy Krueger killer nickname. Now, 73-year-old Marie Harding was on her way to her daughter's house when Gonzalez emerged from the bushes and stabbed her to death. He then went back to his home in Woking, and at some point on the 16th, he stole some knives from the department store. He drank through the night of the 16th, again presumably alone because he had no friends, into the early hours of the 17th, and then travelled to Tottenham, which is about 60 miles. So he's going all over the place, presumably because he thinks he won't get caught if they're spread out enough. Who knows? He's, he's, He's unstable, to say the least. It was at 5.30am that he killed 46-year-old Kevin Malloy by stabbing him in the face, neck and torso. Unfortunately, Kevin died from his injuries. He was known as a gentle giant, he was Irish and he was a former pub landlord. Four miles away and an hour and a half later, Gonzalez broke into a house in Hornsey. 59-year-old Kumi Constantino and his wife Cristela were woken up by the break-in and... Gonzalez went to attack Kumis with a kitchen knife that he'd found in Kumis' own home, and he stabbed him in the forearms and in the chest. Kumis luckily was able to fend him off while Cristela ran outside screaming for help, and both of them survived. Now, although he was covered in blood, Gonzalez managed to get a taxi to Highgate and managed to buy another knife. Who the hell would sell a knife to a man covered in blood? Just saying. And at this point, it was 8am, and Gonzalez tried breaking into several houses. He managed to break into the home of 76-year-old Derek and 68-year-old Jean Robinson, and he unfortunately murdered them both. He described the act of killing the couple as orgasmic when he spoke to police. Derek was a retired paediatrician for the underprivileged, and Jean was a retired Christian aid worker. The whole time that he was doing these awful crimes and roaming around Britain, He wrote letters to himself as Zippy. So he would write the letters and then sign them off Zippy. In one of these letters, he said that the murders were, quote, one of the best things I've done in my life, end quote. And he also wrote about how similar he was to Freddy Krueger. Again, Friday the 13th. Gonzalez claimed that his mission was to kill 10 people. 
He said, I was walking down these alleyways with a knife, waiting to carve up someone. The knife was six inches long. It was like a butcher's knife used to carve up bits of meat. I was going to the first place I could to kill someone. And I was on a mission to kill as many people as possible. He was arrested at noon that same day because an eyewitness finally contacted the police and reported seeing him leaving the Robinson house. I don't know why no one before this had contacted the police when a man's just roaming around covered in blood. You'd think he'd at least say, hey, bro, what's up with all the blood? But um, the reason that this eyewitness contacted the police was because he saw Gonzalez butt naked and again covered in blood. Now, so he's apprehended by the police and he's awaiting trial while in Broadmoor Hospital, which is the infamous mental health hospital for criminals. And he tried to kill himself by ripping his own veins out with his teeth. He was actually viewed as being so dangerous that officers would accompany him everywhere in riot gear. Despite all the things I've been saying about his mental health, his insanity plea was rejected at his arraignment. And at his trial, the jury denied the defense's argument that Gonzalez suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. This is because while it was clear that he was psychiatrically ill, that didn't stop him from knowing right from wrong. And the jury took just over an hour to find him guilty. He received the guilty verdict on two charges of attempted murder and on four murder charges. And he was given six life sentences as a result. The judge recommended that he be held in Broadmoor or a similar institution and that he never be released. While he was at Broadmoor, he was described as the most dangerous inmate ever held there. And Broadmoor held some pretty serious criminals. Please go and look it up because it's nutso. He scared other inmates by reenacting how he stabbed his victims. He grabbed his mother's and grandmother's hair when they went to visit him. And um, Edward Petch, a forensic psychiatrist, testified that Gonzalez had schizophrenia and antisocial personality disorder. A conflicting psychiatric evaluation by Richard Howell said, The excuse of being under the control of voices is often fabricated. It's a caricature of mental illness. He has fabricated such symptoms in the past. And Howell also said that Gonzalez was a psychopath who killed because of the callous, cold person he is. It is his very personality that led him to kill, disinhibited by a cocktail of drugs and alcohol. So while his mum and I hold that he probably did have something wrong with him mentally, this psychiatrist is saying that he's only a psychopath and he messed his own brain up with drugs and alcohol and then went on this killing spree because he wanted to. Detective Chief Inspector Dave Cobb said, quote, he wanted to be remembered as a famous serial killer, but I hope he is forgotten and that we only remember his victims and the families that survive him. Now, while I am talking about him on this podcast, I don't want him to be remembered as a famous serial killer. I want him to be remembered as a deeply troubled boy who was failed by the system, despite his mother's pleas for help. But he's not entirely blameless, obviously. He shouldn't have gone to a rave and gotten really drunk and taken lots of drugs when he knows that he's psychotic. But there you are. Now, it took only until 2007, in August for him to take his own life by cutting himself with the edges of a broken CD case in his prison cell. And that's the case of the Freddy Krueger killer. On to the next case. On the 12th of May, 2016, at around 12.48am, a man named Billy Boyd was found on the sidewalk in Indianapolis, dead from two gunshots to the head, and there were no witnesses to his murder. 
That same morning at about 4.23am, Jay Higginbottom's body was found, also on the sidewalk. There were witnesses to Jay's death who said that they saw Jay walking down the street when a car pulled up in front of him. Jay questioned the driver about the shitty move, but he wasn't looking for a fight. The driver got out of the car and tried to start something, but Jay just walked away. The driver then demanded money from Jay, and so Jay started to run, at which point the driver shot Jay multiple times, causing him to fall to the ground. The attacker then went through Jay's pockets and called him the N-word before fleeing the scene. On the 14th, at around 6.35am, the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department officer Borden Ketcher? Borden yeah, Borden Ketcher, let's go with that, was approached by a civilian claiming to be the victim of a robbery and assault. The victim's name has been redacted from the affidavit, so let's call him Bob. Bob claimed to have been robbed and assaulted at 6pm, so roughly 35 minutes prior to speaking to Borden Ketcher, while he was walking back from his mother's neighbourhood. He was approached by two white men, both appearing to be around 30 years old, and both with blonde hair. One of them was holding a black magnum revolver handgun and threatened to shoot Bob if he didn't hand over his valuables. Bob gave the men $200, a flip phone, and a smartphone. For a reason that appears to have been redacted, Bob then resisted his muggers. One of them then whacked him over the head with either a fist or a blunt object, probably the gun, and then they both fled. Bleeding from the head, Bob continued to walk downtown until he located an officer. That same day, just after 4pm, Officer Fortney spoke to victims of a similar crime. Their names were also redacted, so let's call the man Eric and the daughter Emily. Eric told Fortney that his juvenile daughter Emily had been walking with a group of friends around the neighbourhood when a white male she knew as Sav Hunter began following them. Apparently he had beef, this term was actually used in the affidavit, with one of Emily's male friends. Once they had arrived back on Emily's front porch, Sav Hunter began verbally assaulting her from the street, calling her a bitch and telling her to shut up. Eric heard the argument from inside the house and went outside to see what the fuss was about. When he told Sav Hunter to watch his mouth, Hunter pulled a gun out, a black 357 revolver, and pointed it at Eric and said, I'm not scared, I'll do it, I'll pull the trigger. At 4.39am on the 15th, Jose Alberto Ruiz's body was found in his vehicle with a single gunshot wound to the head. At 5.20pm that same day, a 15-year-old girl, let's call her Kelly, as her name is also redacted, reported that she had been kidnapped by a man who had confessed to murder. She knew the man as Sav Hunter and met him on a Facebook around a month before the incident. She said that she had arranged to buy weed from him at a Wendy's on the 14th at around 2pm. And when she met with him, he told her that he wanted to have a relationship with her, to which Kelly responded that she was only interested in purchasing the weed. Although she later told police that they had in fact had a sexual relationship that had lasted for a few weeks, but that it was over at this point. When Kelly tried to leave the Wendy's, Sav Hunter followed her out of the door, grabbed her by the throat, and reached for a gun in his pocket. He told her that if she left, he would kill her. The manager of the Wendy's came outside and confronted Sav Hunter, and Kelly took this opportunity to run to her car and drive away. She parked in an alley to hide and to call her mum, but Sav Hunter found her, pointed his gun at her, and told her that she would drive him around to pick up his friends or he would kill her. 
She did so and Savhana kept her with him and his friends until around 5.30 when Kelly received a text from her dad. This girl is super smart because she told Savhana that if she didn't respond to her dad, her parents would get worried and start looking for her and that they would be able to trace her phone. Finally, after two and a half hours of being kidnapped, he let her go. And when she'd previously asked him to let her go, he told her that he'd shot others before and that, quote, another body wouldn't mean anything. So this this text really did save her. She told the police that during the kidnapping, Savhana had told her that he'd been, quote, purging and tried to show her a video of him shooting someone, kind of like he was bragging about it. She didn't watch all of it, but she heard gunshots and she saw a body fall. She told police that she'd seen bloody clothing as well as a black 22 caliber revolver. Now, this information that she gave to the police was not public and it was consistent with the three shootings. It turns out that Sav Hunter was the street name of the leader of a gang called the Bloods. His real name was Jonathan Cruz and he was a piece of shit 19-year-old who lived with his mum. On the 16th, at around 10pm, the police managed to track Cruz down. He tried to evade capture, but was tackled, tased, and then taken into custody. They found a gun and a phone in his pockets. Detective Toms searched Cruz's mum's apartment and found items that included a spare barrel to a 357 Magnum revolver, weed, heroin, cocaine, Xanax, three cell phones, and a jail wristband ID belonging to Jonathan Cruz. One of the phones they found at the apartment belonged to Bob, the guy who'd reported being robbed and assaulted on the 14th. Police questioned Cruz about this during an interview on the 17th. When Cruz denied any knowledge of the assault slash robbery, they arrested him for the criminal confinement, kidnapping, intimidation and battery of the 15-year-old Kelly. His bail was set at $200,000. It turns out that Cruz had been texting his mum and his friends during his, quote, purge, as well as posting videos and pictures online. In one video, he and another man were holding a gun up to the camera. Now, if you didn't think this guy was a pathetic piece of shit already, saddle up, because it's about to get worse. At some point during the purge, his mum texted him. Now, the spelling in these texts are quite bad, so I'm going I'm to do voices to try and show you what they look like. She said, what are you doing? And he responded with a screenshot of a news story about the Ruiz murder. He had multiple girlfriends. How does he have even one? And to these multiple girlfriends, he sent the screenshot as well. He messaged his mum to delete the screenshots after she had read them. She responded, do you know they can still pull up deleted history? And he said, yup, I'ma get a new phone soon, say mine was stolen. The next day, she texted him, hello. And his response was, buy a new gun. He told one of his girlfriends to go on Facebook and watch da videos of me shooting people. I purge every night now. Since I am dying, someone else has to. A lot of people fuck that. Which, what? He, he, was he dying? Does he just mean human mortality? What is he on about? And try as I might, I couldn't find if he had any disease or anything like that. Um, and a girlfriend also reported that he was trying to purge specifically black people because he was racist, which goes with the whole him calling Jay the N-word before he fled the scene of his murder. He also messaged a girlfriend saying that he wanted to sell a gun. This was possibly to get rid of the murder weapon, but let's not assign any grain of intelligence to this man. He got a friend to edit his Facebook page while he was in jail to make it look less criminal. And uh, he asked the friend to change his profile picture to one of him and his daughter. 
That's right, this 19-year-old kid has a daughter. He's a drug dealer for minors, lives with his mum, is a murderer, and I just feel so sorry for his daughter. Imagine if that was your dad. One of his uh, friends posted on Facebook, free my bro 100 emoji. They exant hold you for something you didn't do, dot, dot, dot. We miss and love you, heart emoji, hashtag free salve. Now, while he was getting this support from his friend on Facebook, his girlfriend also told authorities, I don't know which girlfriend this is, by the way, but a girlfriend said, he's not evil like they're making him out to be. He's fun, not violent. And his mum was also saying similar things. So we've got people who are backing him up despite literal video evidence of him committing murders and him texting people saying that he's on a purge, etc. It's just... Why are they trying to defend him when he's so obviously evil? The guy who helped Cruz with the robbery slash assault of Bob, he said, he went, by the, by the way, his gang name was Ravon Wood. He said that Cruz is a very violent person who has no heart. Now, the death penalty wasn't pursued because he pleaded guilty, but he did receive three consecutive life sentences. And I couldn't find where he's being held, but I'm super glad he's not out there causing any more harm in the world. Okay, this is the third and final case, and it's an American psycho one. So we've had Friday the 13th, The Purge, and now we're on to American Psycho. Which, by the way, I didn't love. I watched it before I recorded this episode, and just... The first half was good, but is anyone with me that it doesn't follow the psychiatry of a serial killer, at the end for him to break down, cry, confess multiple times, and not in a bragging way either, like in a genuinely remorseful, help me out kind of way. I don't know. And also, he was so careful and was getting away with it all. What's up with the whole, like, oh, now I'm going to shoot police officers and blow them up? Oh, by the way, spoilers, but this movie's been out for such a long time. Anyway, that's my rant about why I didn't really like American Psycho. On to the case. February 2004. 14-year-old Michael killed his classmate, Jamie Goh. He slit his throat while in the bathroom, and he had actually planned this murder. He got a knife, rubber gloves, and tape, and he stabbed Jamie over 40 times before he slit his throat. Now, an expert for the defense testified that Michael Hernandez identified with serial killers in movies, including the characters Patrick Bateman in American Psycho and Hannibal Lecter from the movie Silence of the Lambs. Apparently, these characters sparked in him a goal to become a serial killer, which begs the question, why do a public murder like that? You've got to be smarter than that, bro. And the defence, unsurprisingly, attempted to argue insanity. Hernandez had thought that God agreed with his murderous plans, and while he knew that society thought that it was wrong, he expected God to give him special powers to help him escape from jail. Hernandez was tried in 2008, and he was sentenced to life in prison. In 2016, when Hernandez was aged 26, he was granted a new sentencing hearing, and it lasted about three days. This new hearing was because the US Supreme Court banned automatic life terms without the possibility of parole for minors convicted of murder, as this amounted to cruel and unusual punishment. According to recordings of uh, jail cell calls, Hernandez was still just as obsessed with violence as he had been when he was 14. In conversations with his girlfriend, Again, how do these guys get girlfriends? Hernandez joked about making skin suits. He talked about a character in Hannibal cutting off his own face and about violence in American Horror Story. 
In one jail call, he also complained that America had become too politically correct. Okay. Side note, um, this kind of thinking has historically led to violence. People thinking that accepting others is being too soft, too politically correct, etc. No, it's just, it's just being tolerant, but okay. Hernandez testified at his hearing that he was sorry for murdering Jamie. He said, he was always such a good friend. I had to learn for years how wrong I was. Doesn't really sound like he was that sorry, though, with all the other evidence that's there. Um, and he had originally planned on killing a different classmate, Andre Martin. And Andre actually took the stand at Hernandez's sentencing hearing. He said that he knew that Hernandez was amused by horror movies and liked music with violent lyrics. And he said that when they were kids, Hernandez told him that he wanted to be a serial killer. And being 13, Andre didn't take this seriously, which is fair enough. While he was in prison, Hernandez had an account on loveaprisoner.com. Now, I went to this website to see what it was about. And according to the website, quote, Our mission is to give inmates a sense of hopefulness by connecting them to people on the outside world. Those from all walks of life have committed to our pen pal service to communicate with inmates and have formed nurturing and unconditional friendships. Inmates are not only thrilled to communicate with pen pals, but have stated that it has been a spiritually and emotionally fulfilling experience. Loveaprisoner.com has enabled friends and family to stay in contact with their loved ones and has a 75% compatibility rating for those looking for their soulmate. So come on and give us a try. Now, this sounds lovely on the face of it, until you think of all the women who, quote, loved Ted Bundy and how their correspondence with him allowed him to keep manipulating others and feel powerful. And there are lots of other cases like that. So while for some, it it, it does sound like a really beneficial thing, some psychopathic killers are also able to use this to fuel their own ego and learn about what people are saying about them on the outside world and to convince more people of their innocence etc i mean the woman who ended up marrying ted thought he was innocent and and talked to the media and all of this stuff i think for some prisoners maybe don't let them go on that anyway Prison records showed that Hernandez had been found with two shanks and a pipe in his cell, which meant that he was denied parole and was given another life sentence. He will be eligible for parole after 25 years, however. And to end this episode and this case on a pleasant note, the school which Jamie and Hernandez had attended holds a peace week during the first week of February every year in Jamie Goth's memory. So there's this nice thing that came out of this horrible, horrible child murder. And those are my three cases. Thanks for putting up with me through this somewhat patchy recording. It's been pretty much half a year. And to carry on with the format that I was using before, what I'm killing it at this week is relaxing. I'm in Costa Rica with my family and we're just having the best and chillest time on the lead up towards Christmas. So you can contact me at Killing It Crimecast. Why did I go southern there? No, not southern, northern. Killing It Crime Cast at gmail.com or Killing It Crime on Instagram and Killing It Crime Cast on Twitter. Uh, if you'd like me to cover any particular cases, if you want to tell me any of the things that I missed in these three cases, anything like that, feel free to get in touch. Also, just to let you all know about the future of the podcast, I am working on about three or four other episodes. They're in note form at the moment. And seeing as I've moved back home and I'm jobless again, uh, I'll probably be cranking them out pretty soon. So look forward to that. 
All right. Cheers for listening. Bye.